All right, this morning we go into the go into the word of God again. I'm continuing the series The God of Signs and Wonders. We're going to go into the gospel of John where he is calling the miracles that Jesus did, not just miracles, but he is calling them signs. And we have been over it over and over again. A sign is a miracle that conveys more information. A sign is a miracle that teaches us a lesson. So when John describes the miracle that Jesus did and calls it a sign, he's basically saying this is what Jesus did, but there is more to be experienced. God wants to be experienced even more in each and every one of our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the seventh sign, and that is the raising of Lazarus. The, la the raising of Lazarus, and that is found in John chapter 11. And I still remember one time I was listening to a sermon online about raising of Lazarus, and the preacher said, you know what? Lazarus did not only get a healing. Lazarus got a resurrection. And the church went crazy, like the good, the good charismatic, the Pentecostal times, like, ah, people jumping up and like cheering. And then I thought to myself, you know what, it sounds good until you realize in order for you to get a resurrection, Lazarus had to die first. Come on. Jesus did not just show up and healed him from the sickness. He had to die first. Then Jesus shows up and gives him a resurrection. So when we're talking about the resurrection power of Jesus, it sounds awesome until we realize that is something that demands something of us. It will take something out of us. It will take something that is precious to us. Lazarus had to die first in order to receive life again. But sometimes that is what is happening in our life. But today, I believe the entire sermon that we, we are going to listen to will be around centered, will be centered around hope. Hope. And if you go into the dictionary and you look what hope is, the very first thing that you will find, very obvious, you just put it into Google, it will come out, it is an optimistic state of mind. It's a positive state of mind where you think good things are going to happen, that is hope. But if you dig a little bit deeper, then you will come to a place and then you will realize that hope is the expectation of good. And later on, it will become clear why we're going to talk about it. But it is an expectation that something good will happen. So hopefulness is something that we need in our life. Come on. There are so many things happening around us. Pressures from the world. Pressure from the working world. Pressure from the boss. Pressure from whatever you are going through in your life. But we can find hope. In God, Amen. And I want you to know this morning that God is a God of hope. That He is a God of hope who wants to put something in your life that you can expect good things to happen. Amen. Instead of looking at the bad, that you can expect 
something good to happen. Like I said, this is found in John chapter 11, but I'm not going to go into the entire thing. But, uh, it is there because it's the entire chapter. It's more than 45 verses. But we all pretty much know the scripture if you have been part of a church or you have come to church or maybe like me, you have grown up in church in Sunday school, you will be familiar with the story of Lazarus because it is even taught in Sunday school, right? But just so that everyone is on the same page, what we find in John chapter 11 is that Mary and Martha had a brother called Lazarus and he was a close friend to Jesus. And so he got very sick. So Mary and Martha sent to Jesus and said, The one that you love, Lazarus, is very sick. Quickly come so that you can heal him. Now I'm paraphrasing, okay? So Jesus heard this. And then it says that he delayed his journey for another two days. So by the time he reaches Bethany, the place where Lazarus was, he had already died and he was dead for four days. Now this entire scripture here, John chapter 11, is filled with emotions. Because to first of all, Lazarus gets sick. He was a close friend to Jesus. The sisters are so upset that he is so sick that they send word to Jesus. And then when Jesus told the disciples, you know what, we're going to go, but we're going to wait a little while because Lazarus is asleep. Now this is all found in John chapter 11. Then the disciples said, oh, if he is sleeping... It's okay what? If he's sleeping, he will get well. But then Jesus told them plainly, no, Lazarus is dead, but we will go and you will see the glory of God. So when they reached at the place, Martha comes out to meet Jesus and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. If you only had been here, Something could have happened. But then Jesus said, don't you believe? When I said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. But there was emotions. Then after that, Mary comes out and meets Jesus. She is weeping. The Jews who came to console them in their mourning wept also. Then the, 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 the Bible says that Jesus was so moved that he was weeping. A lot of emotions going on, right? And then we know how the story goes. Then Jesus goes to the tomb and says, you know what, remove the stone. But I said, by now he has been dead for four days. There's even a smell. Why should we move the stone? But Jesus said, no, move the stone. So they remove the stone and Jesus calls him forth, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. And then he comes out. Immediately Jesus says, remove the linen around him and let him go. Funny thing, right after that, when the Jewish leaders heard what Jesus did, they saw how powerful he became, they started to plot to kill him. Right there and then they said, you know what, this is too much already. If we let Jesus go on like that, the Romans will get very upset. The Jews will start to follow him. He will start a revolt. Romans will come in. They will put us away and we will lose our nation. So they started to plot to kill Jesus right there. But I still believe in all of that. We are now seeing all this commotion. We see all this emotion going on. But I still believe that this is a real place where we can find hope. And what God wants to teach us about hope. What is hope again? Hope is the expectation 
of good. So the first thing that we can learn from this scripture is, is that our faith has to be practical. Our faith has to be practical. John 11, 14 and 15 says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. Now see, the thing is, very often, we like to divide our life into categories. Okay, over here, this is my working life. Then this is my family life. Then this is my free time. And then over here, this is my spiritual life. Right? All nicely divided up into categories. But the thing is, when God looks at us, he looks at us as a whole. Yes, he sees we have a spirit, a soul, and a body, but he's looking at us as one. So when God wants to get involved in our life, he does not only want to get involved in our spiritual life. Of course he wants to get involved in that, but he wants to get involved in your working life, in your family's life, even in your free time. God wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. And if we go into 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, we see very clearly where God says, May God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here it doesn't say, oh, God is only interested in your spirit. So make sure that your spirit is kept blameless. He said, make sure that your spirit, soul, and body is kept pure, is kept blameless. So God is interested in us as a whole, every aspect of our life. So I believe when we're talking about faith, our faith has to be practical. Our faith, what we believe and how we believe and what we believe about God has to influence how we treat people. What we believe about God, our faith in God has to influence how we behave at work. Our belief in God, our faith, has to influence how we respond to any given situation. We have to make sure that our faith is practical, that every aspect of our life is influenced by our faith. But the thing is very often, we just categorize and say, God, Work in my spiritual life. Have your way when it comes to a Sunday morning. Have your way when it comes to Friday night when I go to cell group in my spiritual life. But what about the other times? Our everyday life. Because God looks at us as one. He wants to be involved and he wants to have an impact in each and every aspect of our life. Our faith has to be practical. When I was preparing for this, there was one thing that came to my mind. And the thing that really struck me hard, what, what I thought about was anything when it comes to the things of God and the kingdom of God can only be accessed through prayer. 
anything when it comes to the things of God or the kingdom of God can only be accessed through prayer. Think about it. When God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do? He spoke and things came into existence. When Jesus did miracles, what did he do? He spoke and miracles happened. I checked every miracle that Jesus did was accompanied by him speaking. Only one miracle. That is the issue with the woman with the issue of blood. She came from behind and touched Jesus and she felt power go in into her. But even then Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Then she comes, falls at the feet of Jesus and she tells the whole story. And then Jesus talks to her. So every miracle that Jesus did was accompanied by him speaking. So we can very clearly see that God is a God who speaks. And as such, we have to approach him in that way. So anything when it comes to the things of God can only be accessed when we pray. So we have to become people of prayer. Now the thing is, very often, our understanding of what prayer is, is very religious. Our understanding of prayer is we come to church, we put aside the distractions, we sing a few songs, and then finally we have access to God. Or maybe we say, you know what, even at home, but we sit down, we make sure that the phone is on silent, that it's away, so it won't distract us. Maybe we even fold our hands and then we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Our understanding or our idea of prayer is very religious. Whereas every time you put God into the picture, that is already prayer. Let's say you are stuck in crazy Malaysian traffic and somebody comes in and cuts right in front of you and you are thinking, oh, this stupid. Oh my goodness, God, I shouldn't even feel that way. God, I need your help. That is a prayer right there. Come on. If you just had a fight with your children, your teenager, and you're thinking to yourself, God, I feel like strangling them. But God, I need your help. That is an honest prayer right there. If you just had a confrontation at work and you feel like, I feel like giving up, but God, help me. That is an honest prayer right there. See, whenever you put God into the picture, that is where prayer becomes powerful. Because that is how you access God and the things of God. So it is not only the religious prayers when you come to church. It is the prayers that you pray throughout the week when you really need God to show up. That is prayer. That is real prayer. And that is where God comes in. And that is where your faith becomes practical. That faith is not just something that we do on a Sunday morning, but that faith becomes something that influences the way that we live our everyday life. God wants to be involved. The second thing, of course, is we have to become people of prayer, 
but we also need the Holy Spirit. Come on. We have been talking about the Holy Spirit. We have been talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit. But it is so important that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. Now I have here two cans of Coca-Cola. For those who are just listening, not seeing it. We have two cans of Coca-Cola. I thought about bringing Pepsi. But then I thought, I don't want to cause Brother Arul to stumble. And those who don't know, Brother Arul is working for Coca-Cola Malaysia. So I thought, okay, I don't want to be a stumbling block, so I bring Coca-Cola. So now, these Coca-Cola cans look the same, right? There's the same writing, the same design. I bought it at the same time. Actually, I sent Joanna to buy for me yesterday. I wanted to go for a workout. I said, can you go and buy Coke? I need for tomorrow. So she went to the store and she bought Coke. So as far as I know, this is exactly the same. The materials used for both cans, as far as I know, is the same. The design is the same. It looks the same. Everything seems to be the same. But there is a difference. This one, I opened up this morning and I drank the Coca-Cola. It's empty. Now, I didn't really drink it, I have to be honest, because I'm preaching here, right? Honest to God. Uh, Riley drank the Coca-Cola. <laughs> but she drank the Coca-Cola, so this Coca-Cola is empty. This one is still filled and sealed. This one is still full. Now, this one is empty. But the vessel is the same. The Coca-Cola, the, the can is the same. Now, I want you to know that we are all vessels. But the difference is, some of us are empty... Some of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens if the pressures of life, put it in the front here, what happens if the pressures of life come? The pressures of work, the pressures of marriage, the pressures of raising children in this crazy world where gender is not male and female anymore, where everything is going crazy, the pressure of just the world around us. What if pressure comes in? And we are empty. The pressure will come. And what will happen? The pressure, sooner or later, will get to us. If we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, the pressure of everyday life, the demands that the boss, our co-workers have on us, sooner or later will get to us. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit... Now let's just hope this works out. <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit in us. And the pressures of this world, the pressure of our working place, the boss is after us. The children are going crazy. Your spouse is going crazy. The pressures of the world, but if we have the Holy Spirit... If we have the Holy Spirit and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we can withstand the pressure of this world. Amen? That just goes to show us how important it is that we have the Holy Spirit. If we are talking about faith here on a Sunday morning, it is not just to fulfill some religious duty. 
Or you have to come to church so that pastor will see that you're here. He will take your attendance and he will say, well done, you were in church. No, our faith has to be practical. It has to influence every part of our life. So we have to become people of prayer, but we need the Holy Spirit. So that when the pressures of the world come against us, that we can withstand that pressure. So our faith has to be practical. Number two, our hope has to be rehearsed. Our hope has to be rehearsed. John 11 verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now as this happened, Jesus comes and Martha, who he's talking to right here, comes to him and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother could have been saved. But now he's dead. But then Jesus said, your brother will rise again. See, when Martha comes, she right away rehearses the past. Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, past tense, if you would have been here, maybe Lazarus would have not died. But when Jesus comes, he takes away the focus from the past and he puts it to the future and says, no, but your brother will rise again. And if you go into the scriptures, he says, yes, he will rise again at the last day. But he will even say, no, you will see my glory much earlier than this. So instead of focusing on the past, Jesus puts the focus on the future. Hope. He says, you know what? Don't get hung up with the bad situation that you experienced. Don't be focused on the bad thing that has happened. Be focused on what God can do. That is what true hope really is. Hope is the expectation of good. But now if you go into the dictionary and you look at the definition of fear, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by threat or danger. So fear is you are expecting something bad to happen. And that is another uh, uh, definition. Fear is a pessimistic state of mind. Now if you remember correctly, what is hope? Hope is an optimistic state of mind. Fear is a pessimistic state of mind. Then it also says, fear is the expectation of something bad to happen. What is the definition of hope? The expectation of good. Fear is the expectation of bad. So in other words, hope and fear is opposite. And the way that our brain works, we can only focus or feel one emotion at a time. So there's fear on this side, and the opposite is hope. One is a negative state of mind. The other one is a positive state of mind. One is the expectation of something bad to happen. The other one is the expectation of something good to happen. So the thing is, very often we don't feel very optimistic or very fearful. Come on. A lot of our life is lived in the mundane, in the everyday life. Not very fearful, but also not super hopeful at the same time. We are just going through our everyday life. 
We are going to work, make sure that we get the money, that our family is supported, that our family can have a good life. Not fearful, but not very hopeful at the same time. But then things can happen in our life that can change. All of a sudden, the boss announces people will be laid off at work. What happens? Or oh, fear can rise. Oh my goodness, what will happen if I lose my job? How can I support my family if I lose my job? Fear increases. But the thing is, it's almost like a scale. Fear is on this side, fearful. On the other side, opposite end, you are hopeful. And a scale, whatever you put in, will determine where it leans to. So all of a sudden, fear goes up. But what does that mean? When fear goes up, fear is here. When fear goes up, our hope decreases. So if we are fearful, we become hopeless. Now something good happens. We think, oh my, with God I can do it. You know what? I got a word. I will be okay. God is the one who provides my every need. We stand on the word of God. Our hope, our faith increases. And as our faith increases, we become more hopeful. What happens on the other side? When we become more hopeful, we become fearless. The good news is this morning, we can train ourselves to be more hopeful. Instead of looking at the negative things in our life, we can train ourselves to say, yes, people get laid off, but God can provide. Yes, my future is uncertain, but I know that God still sits on the throne. Yes, I don't know what tomorrow may hold, but I know that God gave me a promise in his word. That I will never have to beg for bread. God is my provider. Our hope increases and our fear decreases. So we can make sure and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Where the pressures of the world coming from the outside, give me more hope. So that I can be hopeful, so that I will be fearless. The more hope we have, the less fear will rule in our heart. And the good news is we can ask God to really come in. You know what? Actually, just this morning I came in. One of you guys said, oh, pastor, you're preaching today. I said, yes. Oh, so we're going to hear some stories? <laughs> Guess what? It is story time with Pastor Stefan. <laughs> now, in Germany, summertime is always very precious because you have fall which gets very cold, very gloomy. It can rain for weeks and weeks without any sun ever coming out. So you have those months of fall, then you have winter time. And I know you think, oh, winter, snow, you can go skiing, it's nice. And it's nice to go for holiday, but if you live through winter, it is not so nice. Because you have to go to work, it is freezing cold, you have to put on the jacket and the gloves and the head, and then you get into the car, you put on the heater, it gets hot, so you have to take out the head, you have to take out the jacket, and then you reach your working place, and you know it's cold outside, so you have to put on the jacket, put on the gloves and the head, then you go outside, you go to your work just from the parking spot into the working place, and then inside there is the heat again, so you have 
have to take out the jacket, take out the gloves and the hat, and it is just troublesome. Then you have a little bit of, of spring, which is nice. And then you have summer, where everyone enjoys summer. That's why crazy Matsalis, you see them sunbathing in the summertime. Here in Malaysia, you think, what is going on? Those Matsalis are a bit cuckoo, a bit, a bit crazy there. They're going out in the hot sun, getting sunburned, red like a lobster. I don't know what's going on. Something is weird. It's because they don't have enough sun. So whenever the sun comes, they go crazy, they go outside. So summer is an awesome time where everybody enjoys. So in the summer times, we would go to the public swimming pool growing up every day. Spend the whole day in the public swimming pool, which was just in the village across from ours. And so we had a swimming pool. There was the adult pool, there was the kids pool, the baby pool, but they had a diving pool. And the diving pool where we always hung out. They had a one-meter diving tower, a three-meter diving tower. So we were always up on the three-meter one, jumping and diving and doing all kinds of stunts, and it was fun. Now we had a trip coming up from the youth from the church, and we went to a water park. And the water park had also a diving pool outside. They had a one-meter diving tower, a three-meter diving tower, and a five-meter diving tower. So when we went, I thought, five-meter diving tower. I'm used to three-meter. No big deal. I go to the five meters. Not much of a difference. Right? So from down, you look up, three-meter is here, five-meter is there. Not a big deal. Can. So you go up, one meter, nothing. Three meters, used to it. Then you go up to the five meter and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that five meters was so high. I was used to three meters, but five meter, it's a huge difference. And now you're standing there, people at the back waiting for you to jump and you want to jump, but you, you just cannot jump. You're trying, it's like, what is going on? I am used to three meters, but five meters is completely different. Why? Because of the negative thoughts. Because of fear. Because now you're standing there looking down and it looks so much higher. From down, doesn't look like much of a difference. But once you're up there, it's a huge difference. And then you're thinking, what happens if I overextend? And then instead of having a dive down head first, I will have a, a back flop. Not only will it be painful, even worse, it will be embarrassing. And then you're standing there and you, you're fearful. Because in your mind, you're, you're thinking of every scenario, the worst case scenario. So you're scared to jump. Now in the end, I managed to jump, but it was not easy. Why? Because of the thoughts. Because in your mind, you're thinking about the worst case scenario. And the more fearful you are, the less hope you have. Either way, hopeful and fearless or fearful and hopeless. But the good news is we can let God come into our life and quicken us so that we can withstand the pressure and say, God, I can experience something good. Number three, very quickly, my time ran out already. Our freedom has to be practiced. Our freedom has to be practiced. John 11, 43, 44. When he had said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and clothed around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the crave clothes and let him go. Now, if you think about this a little bit more, Jesus shows up, right? All these emotions, even Jesus is emotional. Then he finally raises Lazarus from the dead. Stone is rolled away. Lazarus is hopping out. And then Jesus said, let him go. Unbind him. Take off the grave clothes. Now, why is that? If you look in John chapter 19, you see how Jesus was buried. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, asked for Jesus' body after he was crucified. And then they embalmed him with oil, perfume, and spices. And the NIV said that it was 75 pounds of spices. All nicely embalmed and then uh, wrapped nicely with crave clothes, with the linen. So now what that meant, they probably did the same thing to Lazarus. Because it even says in John 19 verse 40, this was in accordance to Jewish burial custom. So it was the custom that they would embalm the body with oil, perfume, and spices. And then wrap them up nicely and tight with the crave clothes, with the linen. So when Jesus comes, gives resurrection power, now Lazarus is coming back to life, but he is still bound almost like in a cocoon with, it, with all the oil, all the spices, and the linen around him. So when Jesus said, let him go, make sure that you honor him quickly, it was because if they would have not been fast enough, Lazarus would have suffocated. Think about it. Jesus comes, shows up, resurrection power, Lazarus comes back to life just to suffocate two minutes later. <laughs> all that all over again. But he received resurrection power and Jesus said, faster, unwrap him so that he won't suffocate. I wonder how often we have received resurrection power. How often we have received forgiveness. We come to a church service. Oh God, I need to change. This, what I have going on in my life, this addiction I have to let go. You receive forgiveness. You receive resurrection power. But you are still bound. Monday, Tuesday, by Wednesday, you're suffocated already. You're dead all over again. You're falling back into the same thing again. God wants to come in. He forgives you. But then he wants to give you the Holy Spirit who can make you free. Who can set you free and then you can walk in that freedom. But we have to be unbound. Only receiving forgiveness is not good enough. The Holy Spirit needs to really set us free. The Holy Spirit needs to teach us how to walk in freedom. The Holy Spirit needs to give us the power that we need to now walk in that freedom and in that forgiveness that we won't suffocate and die all over again. But here's the good news. 
The Holy Spirit wants to come in. The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. So that when you receive forgiveness, so that when you say, God, I want a new life, that he can set you free. So that you can walk now in that freedom. That you can walk out what God really has for your life. That you don't have to go back all over again. Die again. Receive resurrection power again. Suffocate again. Receive forgiveness and resurrection again. No, God wants to make it stick. God wants to make you walk in that freedom. But what do we need? The Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit... Sooner or later, we will be crushed. Without the Holy Spirit, death will come in again. But with the Holy Spirit, we can withstand the pressure. Without, we are crushed. With the Holy Spirit, we can live in freedom. We can withstand whatever is coming against us and stand strong. Amen? Can the praise team come this morning?